Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And in our last couple of episodes, we've been talking about the core concept that God's way is better and doing God's God's way and God's work. And that's kind of been the general theme of every episode in our podcast in one format or another. And we want to dive today into a couple of more specific examples. So two episodes ago, uh, we were talking about stem cells. Last episode, we brought up uh, artificial birth control. And in the rebroadcast from three weeks back, uh, we had discussed uh, pornography and the problems all in that. So today I want to give the forum here to you, Father, because obviously following God's way is better, but we don't always get concrete into what is God's way. And in one of the topics we had brought up had been mentioned that a lot of people aren't talking to their kids and teaching them the way that we wanted. And we had discussed that there's been a little bit of a breakdown in the church doing those types of teachings throughout the last couple of years, um, decades, really. We've, we've had that discussion in some prior episodes. So I wanted to use this space in the episode today to kind of just get into some practical examples about what God is actually telling you to do. And inherently, it'll make your life better. So with that being said, before I derail the track, let me give it to you, Father. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one way to say it, it you, you've you brought it in through a, a particular angle, and if I can just say the same thing in a in a different way, um, our our theology, our religion is practical. <laughs> so uh, sometimes we have the idea that it's like just this kind of thing that we do, you know, on Sundays or whatever. You go to church on Sunday, and but there's actually a whole lot of practical implications if you really. And this is the thing, if you really put Jesus Christ at the center, and then you derive everything else from that, then you discover a whole practical form of life, a personal approach to life, uh, an approach to building family and building community, an approach to government, uh, an approach to science, an approach to uh, engineering and business, an approach to uh, international affairs and literature and re really an approach to everything can can flow from having Jesus Christ at the center and there there are practical implications in every area from our faith and the thing is uh, much different than the idea of the the church sort of imposing you have to do it this way it's the farthest thing from uh, what I'm talking about, I'm saying once you know Jesus as the as the fulfillment and perfection of humanity, actually having raised humanity to a divine level by the Word, God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ and dwelling among us, then we look to that fullness of humanity. We look to the example, the life, the teaching. Uh, the, what Jesus has revealed to us about God, and we build a whole worldview around this. And what we find is it bears out in practice. The We take some of this for granted because we live in a society that's really been formed largely by Christianity over the last 2,000 years. And there are a lot of basic things that we take for granted that have in, 
infiltrated our culture and our way of thinking and our way of structuring reality and whatever else. But uh, as some of that crumbles, as we're losing some of the the value of having lived out Christianity, of having lived out that, you know, I could call it an experiment in the sense of like, try it and see what happens in some sense. Now we didn't just try it. We believed in it, tried it and saw what happened. And we generated a society that created a tremendous amount of beauty uh, in music and art that created, that overcome, ma- overcame major problems that developed hospitals and universities. Those all came from Christianity uh, that developed science. The first international society of, of scientists was from the Vatican, founded by the Vatican. You know, So w- we see all of these consequences of Christianity and uh, what happens when you put Jesus Christ at the center. So one of the key consequences of that is the is the infinite dignity of the human person. And so a lot of the things that we talked about over the last couple of podcasts in terms of the problem with pornography and the evil that's there stems from that fact, the dignity of the human person. You can't use a person for your personal gain. And so the women, primarily women, who are exploited through pornography is a a major problem. But then it also ties into sexuality because our sexuality has to do with the dignity of the human person. That's the way by which we come together and create new human beings. That's how God has arranged it. That's how human beings normally come about is through a man and a woman. Uh, Actually, that's how they exclusively come about, but normally through sexual intercourse. And then what do you need for that? Well, the proper context is not just making babies, but raising babies. Procreation is more than just multiplying. It's also raising and forming. And what's the structure that best holds that together? Well, the structure of a committed relationship between a man and a woman with a complementarity of masculinity and femininity turns out to be the best sociological construct we could come up with. You can look at the sociology and say, having an intact family with a mother and a father committed to each other for life through vows of marriage actually tends tends to be the most uh, effective way to raise a child. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and obviously there are exceptions in all of these things. You know, we're looking at, at uh, a normal chart, but looking at things in the normal way, the normal progression is that's the most effective way to raise a new human being, to become a fruitful, happy uh, human being. And, and, participate in society. So, but all the dimensions of sexuality that we've talked about, whether it's the actual uh, conception of a child in the normal way of uh, intercourse between a man and a woman, as opposed to in a test tube and all of the kind of consequences of in vitro fertilization mentioned, you know, on average, nine babies are killed for one baby that comes to birth. Uh, Also the identity that there are weird identity things that happen with children who are conceived through in vitro fertilization. They have a sense of, at some level, of being a science experiment. And and it, anyway, you know, a, a lot of these things can be overcome. God gives us a lot of grace for healing, but why stack on problems for people that they don't need to over, you know, if if we can do things the right way. So the teaches the church is teaching on sexuality, and then we talked about contraception and. Uh, the effects that that has, the increased uh, 
chance of breast cancer for women using the birth control pill being one kind of natural medical consequence, but then also the uh, the sociological consequences of marital infidelity and marital unhappiness and and the backup use of abortion when contraception doesn't work and a child is conceived anyway, and all of these things and, and an increased divorce rate as a result of it, all these things that Pope Paul VI predicted in Humana Vitae, which have come to, bear, to pass in un, indisputable ways in the last 50 years. So uh, the point being that all of those sexual teachings are are really derived from the the simple understanding of the infinite dignity of the human person and and that's by the way the first principle of catholic social teaching is that the the human person has an infinite dignity that's inviolable god has made each person for his own sake not to be used not as a means to an end and thus we can't say this person is more valuable than that person Every person has an equal and infinite value, dignity. And as soon as we allow that to be violated by saying, oh, we can sacrifice this person for the sake of that person. As soon as we do that, the whole thing crumbles and we end up in a place of might makes right and the survival of the fittest and uh, the supreme race. And we, we move in the directions of, you know, Stalinism or Nazism or whatever else, you know, it's, those are extreme ends, but they're natural consequences of what happens when we start ranking human beings. Or we end up with something like the, the caste system that has been a part of India and practically speaking from what people tell me is still very much uh, a factor in, in life in India. So again, all of these things are sort of a fallout from, they're a consequence of, uh, if, we, if we follow the reality that God became man, and so human beings have an infinite dignity, and then what are the consequences of that in terms of the protection of human life, the protection of sexuality, and then the protection of marriage, which ties into the protection of human life and the protection of sexuality and the proper use of all of those things. So that's a whole area, just to reiterate how all that fits together. I'll mention another one that's become uh, a bit of a topic recently, especially with Pope Francis teaching even more strongly on it, and that's the death penalty. The death penalty, it turns out, is totally ineffective at every useful measure, it's not a preventative. There's no indication that where there is the death penalty that people commit less capital crimes. Um, it is clearly affected by uh, 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 prejudice and is uh, leads to things like racism. Black people are more likely to be given the death penalty for the same crimes than white people. Blacks or Hispanics, I think, are more likely to be given the death penalty for the same crimes as white people. So it's subject to prejudice. It's ineffective. It's actually extremely expensive. It's more expensive to hold people on death row than it is to give them a life sentence. Um, it's not effective for bringing about conversion which at some level we should all realize that our criminal justice system is about conversion. We believe that people can change and we want to give them room to do that. They don't do that more effectively on death row. Um, and so why, why else do we have? It's not effective for uh, helping victims. 
because they don't feel better having killed the person that killed their loved ones. They still feel the same emptiness unless they come to a place of forgiveness and find other ways of reconciliation. So I'm not sure how else you'd want to measure the death penalty. <laughs> uh, it seems to be on every scale that one would want it to be effective, it's ineffective. And that ties in with the, again, the Catholic understanding. The Catholic understanding is uh, in a situation where the only way to prevent someone from committing further crimes would be the death penalty, it could be admissible as a possibility. Uh, so think of a society that is not able to keep people incarcerated in a reasonable way for life, that's not able to keep them out of the mix for life. If, uh, a, maybe a society like uh, like Iraq or I don't know, some some place in the Middle East or a third world country that just doesn't have the structures. And the only way to actually stop someone from committing further crimes is to take their life from them. So as a preventative measure in that sense of committing further crimes. But Pope John Paul noted in Evangelium Vitae back in 1996, I believe, uh, that in the modern world, certainly in first world societies, there's no country that's incapable of detaining someone and preventing them from committing further crimes. And so practically speaking, the death penalty is not a real possibility in any developed country in the world today. Pope Francis just solidified that and said, uh, it's not admissible. <laughs> this is not a morally permissible option in the world today. And actually changed the catechism to reflect that uh, development of doctrine because of the societal uh, development, the, the situation um, in the world today. So the death penalty would be another uh, example. And I I choose that intentionally because if we're looking at a Republican-Democrat divide, all of my previous things about contraception or about abortion or about uh, uh, marriage between a man and a woman, or those all tend to be a little bit more on the Republican end of things. Uh, that's not my intention, but anyway, that's just the reality of where our, our political, our somewhat arbitrary political divide is in America today. Uh, but on the other hand, the death penalty is is something that just doesn't bear up uh, if we look at the sociological evidence, and it's uh, and and the Catholic Church would reinforce all of that with a moral analysis of saying, well, it's not surprising it doesn't bear up because the dignity of the human person is such that we want to give people every possible opportunity to convert, to recognize the wrong they've done, to come to a place of of seeking forgiveness and their life is worth holding on to. And even if their life is lived out in a jail cell, it has an intrinsic value. And we are not the judges who are able to create life on the one hand, like IVF, or to take life away by our own uh, initiative. And so uh, anyway, the death penalty ends up in that, uh, in that place. So, a couple of things from, from, from everything you said there. Uh, the first highlight, the, the one of the key things there is that uh, obviously everything that's going through living this life has been practical. And then as we're seeing things fraying away is kind of where we're getting issues coming into our society. And if we think of this in our own individual on a macro and a micro level, if something's not working, someone might 
arrogantly stick in an idea to just try to force it, keep it moving forward. Um, or they might be scared or in denial and just keep going down a wrong path. But inevitably, you switch to something that's working. It's just the way life is. It might take 50 years, but inevitably, that's what happens. So to say that that the basis to make the society work correctly is going down that makes a lot of sense. And it takes a lot of things that we've taken for granted, as you've mentioned. Now, going directly off the steps that you were talking about with the death penalty, you'd mentioned that in every developed world, we should be able to handle this. But the Pope didn't come from what we would call a first world country. If you truly look at it, he came from one of those places where the cartels can get out and get anyone out they want whenever they want. And he's still saying that the death penalty isn't okay. So when something's just not okay, it's just not okay. And not to get into the whole political thing of it, but yeah, we just randomly draw lines for whatever's going to get someone elected in their county. Um, it's just what they do. Um, it, for, for what it is. Because if not, a 50-year-old wouldn't have a magically different opinion when he's 62 versus when he was 58. Just... People don't change like that. So regardless, the step I wanted to go from there was obviously killing someone is wrong, but disciplining is not. And that goes back to, to kind of a theme throughout all of it. You said there that, um, you know, there's a reason that the society works best with, a father and a mother. Typically one of them's better at disciplining than the other. Um, you can kind of do the good cop, bad cop thing, if you will. Um, but discipline and the death penalty are not equal and discipline being still necessary. So I wanted to, uh, to just kind of go down that direction a little bit because we see around us throughout society where people would call it, disciplining someone um, in both extremes, whether they're, they're being over the top about it or not enough and justifying it in their own ways. And what I have seen, you know, firsthand being that when someone is being over disciplining, especially in public, it's normally coming from them from a starting point of the parent or the discipliner being in a spot where they're not okay with themselves for whatever reason. And they're taking out this emptiness or hurt or whatever you would describe that as upon the disciplinee. And you see that common. And then the other side of the spectrum, what I see is someone who was overly hurt and they don't ever want to cause that upon someone else. And obviously there's a fine line within that process. And Obviously, you know the Bible way better than I do. I do know that in the Old Testament, it explicitly says, I think it's Isaiah, explicitly says, um, you know, blessed is the disciplinee um, and the discipliner because they'll end up having a better life as a result of it. And I was just trying to turn real quick in my head to find the Gospels having examples of that. And I can't think of a direct one off the top of my head. Um, but I'm kind of hoping that you will um, to, to, to go on with this point about how death penalty bad, but discipline not if you do it the right way. So let's have a discussion about that. 
Well, discipline is the word disciple, you know, so the call to discipleship is uh, is a call to discipline. Um, and yeah, you know, in the letter to the Hebrews, it talks about God chastising the one whom he loves. Uh, chastising it is intended in the sense of, of discipline that, you know, he allows suffering. Uh, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered is what it says in the letter to the Hebrews. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a growth. And, and of course, the discipleship of Christ is unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You know, the cross is is part of it. I really like a. I was just uh, listening the other day to, to Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's an uh, yeah, evolutionary psychologist. A lot of great insight, very practical. But uh, two points that touch on what you were just saying. One is, he says, he describes it as really, the way that he says it in his 12 Rules for Life and you know in his teaching and things like that, he says, you want to make your children into the kind of person who is who people like to be around. <laughs> So you want your children to be acceptable to people. And the parents are sort of the exemplar of adults. So if the children are acceptable to the parents and, and they'll mold themselves to become acceptable, if you, you know, discipline them in the right way, if you clearly indicate what's right, what's wrong, affirm what's good, is is really the most effective way give them a little pat on the head give them a little treat affirm what's good is is the most important thing and then periodically there's a need to also be clear about what's wrong and attach some consequence to that a little bit of suffering to that so that they feel that it's wrong but basically you're forming them to be the kind of people that people want to be around and the the adult is the you know the parent is the kind of exemplar of all adults if they're good for the parents, they'll be good for everybody else. Then the other corrective is the parents have to not be idiots, to use his word. And that's actually also where the complementarity of having two parents is really important because one parent can keep the other parent from being an idiot. <laughs> and so not only the good cop, bad cop combination, but the stop being a bad, bad cop, you know, or or start being a, a better good cop or stop behaving that way or you're being arbitrary or whimsical or the child is not getting what you're saying you know so having that corrective among the adults it helps the child to become the kind of person that adults like to be around and that's the best thing for the child that gives the child confidence that gives the child uh the the right sort of behaviors it really is is also informing culture into the child and so the child is is being developed in a way that's that's harmonious with the culture around him and is not going to be abrasive or affrontive, uh, certainly not breaking laws, but even not breaking social laws, social conventions is uh, is really important. So, yeah, we have to we have to love our children enough to help them be people that people like to be around, you know, people that can do the good and um make good choices. So, yeah. And, and uh, just to, to build off that, you mentioned something and it made me think of it earlier about, uh, you know, Christianity and uh, leading us in a good direction. One of our models in Christianity is always the the liturgy. What What the parish does is meant to be a model for what the family does. 
And so the way that we celebrate liturgical seasons, the way that we come together to celebrate the Eucharist, we all gather as children of the Heavenly Father, and we feed on the Word and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in the setting. So what's the equivalent of that in the family, in the domestic church, which is what we call the family uh, in Catholicism, the domestic, the home church? Well, what do we do in the home church? Well, we also have a meal. And that meal should be a feast of fellowship and a feast of teaching, of good conversation, upbuilding conversation, and a feast of food, of course, as well. Uh, and so we eat the supernatural food and we get the supernatural teaching and we have the supernatural fellowship in the parish at Mass. And then we take that home for the natural food and the natural teaching and the natural fellowship in the domestic church in the home. And it turns out, you know, children who grow up in a home that has a family meal, I think it's like three or four days a week, have massively lower uh, rates of criminal activity massively higher rates of high school and college graduation. I mean, it's like, you know, 300% better or whatever. It's like 90% of children who grow up in, in families that have a, a daily, who eat dinner together four days a week, graduate from high school, don't become criminals. I mean, it's just like, why would anybody not do this? Uh, again, I just don't have the statistics off the top of my head, but you can find them easily enough if you Google them uh, online. So those kinds of, you know, again, it's it's a Catholic logic, Christian logic that brings us together as a family that celebrates the unit, the family unit, as the fundamental building block of society. So we have the infinite dignity of the individual, and we have a family which is oriented around uh, celebrating and building up and forming that that person uh, in their infinite dignity and holding those things together does a tremendous amount for having a more uh, happy life and having a more fruitful society and all of those other kinds of side effects that we like. Perfect. Well, and that's a great note to go out on. So, we obviously want to thank everyone for listening here, Father. And I want to thank you for, for giving some concrete examples that we will continue to discuss here in the next podcast. We thank everyone for spreading the word and helping us grow. And we will be with you again next week.